Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park eerily quiet and then my mind was kind of like you know the head in the fishbowl but it takes me into the bathroom and says this is how you brush your teeth brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat but there were two girls and it was like you don't have to give us a ride you can't fill us no you can't refuse to let us in this car thoughts were all alone in this empty void you know the head in the they got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. These gremlin-type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers. Three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. All right, guys. We're here on Conspiranormal. Rob, it's episode 160. Really? 160. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, and uh, we are starting out tonight with the guest. It is, um, we're doing some more time traveling today because it's about 9.15 on a Friday night for us, and it's about, I believe, like 11.15 on Saturday morning for our uh, guest because he is all the way in beautiful South Korea, and that guest that we have on is one that I'm very excited to have on. Another person that is going to be a speaker at Malone's Roswell Conference that's coming up in June that we are going to be at as well. And that is Mr. Joe Jordan. Joe, welcome to Conspiranormal. It's been a long time coming. Adam, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. Uh, Before we get into the material that we're going to talk about tonight, and that's about alien abductions and how to stop them, all the good stuff. Uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the situation over there in Korea, because I know that you're, I believe you're in Seoul. Is that correct? No, I'm actually down south. I'm in the okay. s- south central, I should say, uh, area. Uh, okay. It's in near a city, near a city called Daegu. It's their third uh, largest city. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with where that is. Well, you know, the news that we get over here, has been about North Korea rattling its saber. And uh, we were talking a little bit about this as in their kind of like our pre-show banter, but uh, what's kind of the mood there? I mean, what do you think about everything that's going on? Um, Because of my job and location where I'm at, um, I really don't think too much about it. I try not to because I think, you know, fear can really put a strain on you. 
on your everyday life. You know, as we mm-hmm. fear the the craziest things in life, when you add on something that like this, you know, with political saber rattling going on, you know, that can that can really wear on you after a while. So I've learned to live with it with the five years that I've been five plus years now that I've been living over here. Oh wow! You know, we it. it kicks its heels up, you know, certain times of the year over here when the military starts doing their war games, you know, which is just normal practice for them, whether it be the South Korean, the American or the North Korean army, you know, that are doing it. But this has been going on for 60 plus years here in this country. These people have, you know, been living with this, you know, banner back and forth, you know, uh, of the North and the South. And, uh, they just kind of continue to go through their everyday jobs with it. And I've learned to, to move right along with them. I get more, more calls and emails and, you know, texts from people in the States. Yeah. Hey, are you okay? Hey, you know, are you scared? You know, no, I'm not really, you know, um, I, I don't think this is going to turn into anything big. It's just, uh, more of what's been going on. We just got some new players in the, in the game now, you know, we had Obama there for many years dealing with the guy up north, and now we got a new guy in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, President Trump. He's got to deal with it now. He might deal with it in a little bit different way, but, you know, it's, it's, it continues. And, um, uh, it's interesting to watch. It's, it's like a, like a chess match going on that you're sitting outside watching it instead of playing it, and you kind of wonder where the next move is going, but. Um, I try not to let the fear get to me, though. How do the you know, South? I, how do the South Koreans feel about it? They, you know, they they've lived with it for so long. They've learned to just uh, just to keep moving on. You know, they don't let it control them. You know, very rarely do I hear anybody. You know, I've got a lot of Korean friends. Um, very rarely do I hear one that even brings it up. You know, that wants to even talk about it. It's just like, yeah, okay, it's more of the talk back and forth. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, just from your own perspective of living there, I mean, do you think that eventually the North would maybe fall someday and North and Korea would might be united again? I do. I really think that uh, that's a good possibility. Um, You know, as the years of the decades have gone by since the war, since the armistice, you know, in, in 53, 52, whenever that was, um, you know, that the, the, the South has progressed, um, so much faster and so much more than the North, you know, it's, it's become one-sided now. Uh, I, I see the South as, I guess, trying to be patient, you know, and waiting for the the North to just buckle on their own Mm -hmm. or to do something ridiculous to where eventually, the North will buckle and they can take over their rest of their country again. You know, I, I can see that them patiently waiting on that, but I, I think there's some of them that are impatient and going, you know what? We don't have to wait anymore. And, uh, I kind of wonder if we're actually holding them back from just yeah. moving right on in, you know, yeah. they still got family up there that, you know, that they're sure. allowed to see every now and then, you know, and there's, it's a country that, you know, if they could get their, their, that half of it back, it would just make Korea just a, uh, an even bigger country to deal with, you know, in the next few years, industrially and technologically, if they had more land and more resources to work with. 
it's a small country, you know. Yeah, they've essentially really had to rebuild the north though because it's um I mean, it would be kind of an Asari state like have you ever seen the um Rob tell me if you've seen this like the picture of the Korean peninsula from space and like South Korea is all lit up and North Korea is like almost completely dark. No, I've never seen that. That's yeah, crazy. <clears throat> So I mean, you know, really, I they'd have to really build that country, that part of the country, back up. But I think it would happen very fast if yeah. you could just see the changes that I've seen in just five years hmm. from from where I live here. You know, the the building that's going on, it's incredible. You know, and when I first came here, I was sending pictures back to Facebook and emails. You know, to my dad, who was actually a, a combat veteran here. You know, during the Korean War, he's still alive. I talked to him. Wow. And uh, he was just amazed. He says, you know, that's not the Korea that I remember. You know, he says, because I'm sending him these beautiful pictures of, of the cities and the, the awesome building and construction that they've done, you know, and, and they're moving so fast at it. And he says, you know, don't they have any mountains and, and valleys and stuff left? I said, not much. You know, they do. But, uh, you know, it's just just booming over here, you know, and it's just going to keep continuing to do that. You know, they and if they get the north to be able to take over and, and build some more, they'll do it. You know, they'll just expand yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. It may be able to take maybe like ten years, but eventually they would do it. Yeah, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what what could happen. Because I mean, you I know, think Germany it's, had the Germany had the same problem. You right. know, when the east mm-hmm. fell, you mm-hmm. know, they they came in there and they looked at that place that the the Russians had just you know let <laughs> fall to nothing. And uh, they went, oh, my, what did we just inherit? But, you know, you can look at it now, and they've made some major progress over the time that that wall's been down. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with it. But, Joe, let's get into the um, the meat of the interview. I want to get kind of jump right in. Um, and this is about... But what we're going to talk about is the idea of how you can stop alien abduction. But I, I really want to start with how you yourself got into like the subject of UFOs and how you got into studying the abduction phenomenon. Okay. It's uh, an interesting piece of the history of uh, CE4 research, you know, how I got into this in the first place. Um, you know, even though CE4 research is being known for dealing with this experience that people go through from biblical perspective, I didn't start out as a Bible thumper, not at all. Um, and, and people need to understand that. A lot of people, when they first come across my research, they say, oh, no, here we go. You know, another Christian Bible thumper that's pushing the, you know, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ on us. And they think I've been that way all along. But no, absolutely not. I didn't become a believer until 19 or until uh, I was 42. That was 1996, you know, so I'm, I came to Christ late in the game. When I first started out dealing with UFOs uh, and abductions, it was 1992, and I was on a vacation trip to visit my brother in Alaska, who was in the Air Force at the time, and um, I needed a book to read on the airplane. I mean, it was going to be a 10-hour flight to get from Orlando Airport all the way to uh, Anchorage. <laughs> and I went through the kiosk looking for books and magazines to pick up. <clears throat> I didn't see anything that took, you know, caught my interest right off the bat in the magazine. So I, I went to the book section and specifically a little small section of sci-fi 
books because I was an avid science fiction reader when I was uh, in high school. And if I was going to pick up anything, I wanted something that would be an escape, you know, for me to be able to, to step out. And sci-fi does that for me. It, it, it lets you step away from reality and, and get into something that's, that's really out there. And, and it's enjoyable to me. And I found the book. I picked it up and it looked to be science fiction. And I turned it over in the backside to see what it was about. And it was like, no, this is different. You know, it was reading like science fiction, but it was saying that it was, it was not, that it was, uh, an investigative research, uh, into an event that happened back in 1947. And it was the UFO crash at Roswell. That was the book that I had picked up. And that confused me because at the time I had no interest in, unidentified flying objects or aliens and, you know, in the matter that people see them today in the UFO realm. Um, to me, it was fantasy. It was uh, escapism. It was science fiction. You know, so it puzzled me to see a book that was reading science fiction, but was speaking as fact. And that didn't make any sense. So I bought the book to see what it was about. And I'd never heard of the Roswell story before. Um, at that point in my life, I'd been working at a, a boat company, major boat company for 20 years. And, you know, I was focused on work. I was focused on family. And, you know, I just didn't have that interest, uh, you know, like a lot of people do in the UFO realm. So I read the book. It caught my interest. And it said, this really happened. And I'm going like, no, it can't be. So when I got back from the trip, I wanted to know more about this phenomenon, what they were talking about here. And that's specifically Roswell, you know, in general. And um, I happened to come across a, a news special on the local news out of Orlando, which was advertising um, a new business that had just come into town on International Drive, where most of the tourists go. And it was a, a gentleman and his wife that had opened up a UFO museum. And it was a walkthrough type museum of the history of the UFO phenomenon. And it was done really, really well. Um, it, it compared, you know, to the museum there in Roswell, uh, just smaller on size. And I had to go check this out. I said, well, if anybody knows anything about this subject, it's got to be this guy. And it happened to be local. So I took a couple weekends, went over and met him and his wife, got to, got to be friends with them and, you know, asked questions and he answered them right away he seemed to have a, a real keen knowledge on the ufo phenomenon and its history he even had a little book section there uh magazines and books dealing with the ufo phenomenon that i could pick up and take with me and you know purchase and take with me and read and uh it wasn't long working with him that he saw that you know i was starting to take this real seriously I didn't believe in extraterrestrials. Uh, I still thought this was kind of quirky and I wasn't seeing a lot of evidence for it, you know, a lot of circumstantial, but it caught my interest. And uh, that's when he introduced me to the Mutual UFO Network. He said, you seem to be really interested in this and, and getting more and more interested all the time. He said, how would you like to actually do research? And I said, well, that would be cool. And um, he introduced me to the Mutual UFO Network the largest organization, you know, civilian research organization in the world. It's a nonprofit organization. Uh, it's all voluntary, and they got about 5,000 members worldwide. And I 
decided to become involved with him. He took me through the ropes on what it would take to be a field investigator. And I worked my way up to, to be able to be a field investigator and actually, you know, go with him on um, citing reports that were happening. He had been a state section director previously in the Orlando area, um, himself working with MUFON. And it wasn't long before he asked me the question. He says, you know, you live over in Brevard County where the Space Center's at. He says, uh, MUFON doesn't have a group over there, you know, mm. uh, an organized group. He said, would you be interested in, you know, taking charge and putting a group together over there? You know, field investigators that you can train up yourself and answer the calls that, you know, people might come over, come through with sightings in that area. And I thought, wow, this is cool. And I said, sure. So he introduced me to the uh, state director at the time, um, Bland Pugh, great guy to work with that uh, had been in MUFON for quite some time. And he was state director of Florida. And uh, Bland pretty much interviewed me and wanted to see, you know, where I was coming from on all of this. And he saw I was pretty grounded and um, let me have the position of state section director for Brevard County, Florida, which was which meant that I was now running a, a, a county or a number of counties. Eventually, I picked up Volusia County, where Daytona's at. And I started putting together field investigators, like just like I had done myself, come up, and they were interested and they wanted to be involved. And I helped train them up. And it wasn't long we were following up on sighting reports. But keep in mind, as I had come into all of this, I came into this as um, an agnostic humanist. I, I, I would say at the time that was my sure. perspective on, uh, you know, on any type of belief system, um, believed in evolution, believed in all the things that public school had taught me. Um, and I just believed that there was a possibility for extraterrestrial life, but didn't see that we had come across any proof of it, you know, at that time. So I went in this as a major skeptic and that was my introduction to the UFO phenomenon. So you so you didn't really think that at the time that there were little green men running around. You were just more like, there's something weird going on in the sky. I want to find out what it is. Yes. Um, I knew people were having reports. The stuff they were, they were reporting uh, were kind of strange. Um, following up on sighting reports, uh, you're always in the feeling that uh, you're, you're a dog chasing your tail because, you know, you don't get to follow up on a report until the report's already happened. You know, the events already happened and you're coming in after the fact. Um, so you've got to dig up all the evidence that you can or circumstantial evidence or anecdotal, you know, testimony to be able to put together and try to understand what did this person see? Because they can't, you know, fully describe it. That's why it's an unknown to them. But you're trying to take in everything that's, you know, possibly there, whether it's, you know, if it's late at night, what are the stars doing, whether comets out. You know, you're getting reports from the uh, flight patterns of any aircraft that are around trying to determine whether it might have saw an aircraft that was coming over. You're trying to eliminate as much as possible to where you get down to, all right, we don't know what this is. You know, it's, it's we, we've eliminated everything we can, but we're still dealing with an unknown. You know, a lot of times that's what we're we're stuck with. So how did you get involved with the with the abduction research? Um, does MUFON, do they look into abductions or are they just purely more like sightings? 
centric? Well, mostly it was signings because, you know, they MUFON's, you know, they're, um, they're scientifically investigating the UFO phenomenon. And the problem with abductions is it's really kind of hard to do scientific investigation on abductions. Uh, it's not the same as working with um, sighting reports. I mean, you're still doing a, a, the basic investigation techniques, but it, it's a little different in what you're handling there. You know, most of it is is, is testimonial evidence compared to um, whether somebody has pictures or trace elements on the ground or things like that from a sighting. As a state section director, um, some of the things that MUFON had asked me to do was, you know, not just to organize and try to bring up other field investigators and members into the organization to be able to do the footwork, what, but to also put together a monthly meeting for the public. And that's something I, you know, had to come up with and, and make happen as being a state section director. And you don't charge for these meetings. MUFON is always free. Um, but the idea was to be able to educate the public, um, to let them understand what was happening in the UFO field and in the research part of it, and hopefully encourage them to become members of MUFON also. Because keep in mind, MUFON does know that besides more people being able to help out in the research, they can get an answer. But also members pay you know, a membership fee which also helps the organization support the research that they're doing. Sure. So there's a couple of reasons that they go through all of this. So uh, when I started looking for a meeting place, you know, because I needed certain things to be able to hold a meeting, I wanted to be able to have uh, either, you know, an access to a computer and access to a television or, you know, a projection screen or something like that, something where we can share videos and, and share things that people wanted to bring to do talks. And um, the best place I figured to do that would be a library, public library. And when I went and talked to the local public library I had there in Cocoa, Florida, um, come to find out, no charge to use a public library, you know, to have a meeting room. And let your listeners keep that in mind because most libraries don't charge if you're not charging. Okay, I can hold a meeting. As long as it's free of charge, the library's not going to charge me for it. You know, it's it's something that libraries do. And most libraries already have audiovisual stuff available in their meeting rooms um, to be able to use. All you do is sign out for them and, you know, you can use them. So I had everything I needed with no extra cost to be able to do my monthly meetings. And I used to hold them on a Sunday afternoon, one, you know, third Sunday of the month in the afternoon. People would come, whether they were churchgoers or not, it would give them time to come and participate in the meeting. We'd, we'd show videos that were new coming out. I'd have speakers come in. Um, as the research we were doing ourselves on sightings, we'd share the reports that we were doing with people. And uh, we'd let people talk themselves. And that was the interesting part. Because when you get a place that's open to the public, free of charge, and you put up a sign that says UFO meeting, uh, you get all sorts of different kinds of people that come in there, <laughs> believe me. And uh, a lot of them had stories. And they welcomed the whole idea to be able to come and share their story because most of them had nobody to tell their stories to. You know, 
Um, they were so bizarre that, you know, they couldn't share them with family or share them with friends or coworkers because they'd be ridiculed for what they were saying, you know. Mm. Um, very powerful, strange stories we started to hear. And this is when I was first introduced to the abduction experience because I came into this to do sighting reports. Right. I didn't know much about the abduction experience at all. Did you know anything started, about like Streber and Bud Hopkins or any of those guys? Had you were you familiar at all with them? Just in the, just a very beginning level, I knew sure. people were claiming to have the experience, but I really hadn't taken the time to look at that type of research yet. You know, because I felt that to scientifically investigate something, you know, we were going to be dealing with the, you know, with the sighting reports. Those are things that were, that were tangible evidence to put your hands on, you know, videos and, and actual pictures and things like that, uh, where, you know, I, I just wasn't seeing it, how to do it with the abduction experience. At the time, MUFON wasn't focused on abductions, you know, entirely yet. Um as a research like they were on, on sightings. And I think uh, John Carpenter was the one that was the representative for abductions for MUFON at the time. And um, this is not to so be confused was, with the director, beginning. John Carpenter. No, no, not, yeah, not yeah. the director, John <laughs> Carpenter. No, John, the John Carpenter I'm talking about is uh, um he was a hypnotherapist, uh, consultant, psychologist, consultant, something like that. I don't know what his exact title was. Uh, I met him a couple times. Great guy. And uh, he did some really good research over the years with abductions. Um, but he's out of uh, Springfield, Missouri. And uh, he was a re representative for MUFON at the time. But as we started listening to these people's stories uh, that claimed abductions or claimed contact uh, with with some type of entity that they felt was connected to the UFO phenomenon. I mean, they automatically felt it was connected. I mean, Hollywood pretty much shows you uh, in, in what they do that it's, it's gotta be the same thing. You know, the abduction experience has got to be from the entities that are behind the so-called sightings. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, do we have evidence of that today? No, we don't, but that's the assumption. Mm -hmm. So that's what these people felt, and they felt that if anybody's going to listen to them, it's going to be UFO researchers. But they also felt that we had answers for them, and we did. You know, they, we still don't. You know, a lot of people still don't have answers for this. But as we listened to their stories, the one thing that hit us the hardest was these people were hurting. They were really, really traumatized people. This experience had turned their lives upside down. It had destroyed their worldviews that they had uh, they had held on to most of their life until these experiences started to happen or started to come out in their memories. And it it really made us kind of nervous to work with them and listen to them because they were so distraught, you know. And I just wasn't ready for that you know, right in the beginning, but they kept coming to the meetings. They were persistent as we were, you know, in the research as, you know, they were looking for answers. Um, and they felt comfortable being that they could share their stories and with like-minded people at the meetings. And then it finally hit me after a few years of, uh, 
doing the meetings and doing the sighting investigations, I told my investigators, I said, guys, let's, let's think about this here. You know, we're chasing our tails with sighting reports. We're not getting anywhere. MUFON's not getting anywhere. They've been at this for, you know, 50 some years, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we're still chasing our tail. I said, there's got to be a way to get closer to the source of what's happening here. And I tell you, listening to these people coming to these meetings, I think they're the center of this. I think these people are where we need to be looking. This abduction experience or this contact experience, these people are claiming to have contacted the entities behind this, you know, this phenomenon. They're the front line. I felt, and I thought, I don't think we're going to get any closer to the source of all of this unless it happened to us ourselves, you know, and my guys agreed with me on that. So we decided to take our focus and push it more over to the abduction side and understanding that MUFON really didn't have a a way to set all of this up yet. We decided to organize a separate group, you know, entity, research entity, uh, to be able to do the research, but always willing to share it with MUFON if they asked or with anybody else. And that's when we decided to form CE4 Research Group. And the CE4 stands for Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. And the fourth kind actually is a representation for the abduction experience. So very simple, close encounter, fourth kind research group, CE4 Mm -hmm. research. And it was a voluntary group initially. Most of us all were MUFON members, um, investigate field investigators. So I had a good group to start with. We already had some training and, um, understanding of how to do the, you know, actual research to be able to work with. And we decided to let's start this the right way. Let's consume everything we can get our hands on dealing with abductions. Let's go find Streber's work. Let's go find Hopkins' work. You know, let's go find the guys that are doing the top research right now, David Jacobs, mm-hmm. you know, and get all of the work, the, the videos that we can get our hands on. And let's consume these, get us a basis to, of, of where to start and how to start. And, most importantly, to not do any more damage to these people as we work with them. Because that's the one thing I was afraid of, is once you start dealing with these people's lives, you know, I was afraid that we could do more harm than good. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's the one thing I wanted to be very cautious about and how we approached all this. Um, the one thing that I talked to the guys about, and I said, one thing we will not do is... Um, is hypnotherapy, you know, hypnotic regression. Or yeah, I was about to ask you about that, whether that was something that you did or not. We had considered it, and but the more we looked at it and the more we, we researched it, uh, the more we realized that it was non-conclusive, okay, and it couldn't be fully trusted. And it always left open that avenue of people saying you're leading the witness, you know, you're leading the, the person in their testimony. And I figured the best way to deal with this is to not do it at all. Because I was listening to these people's testimonies, and I didn't have to put them under hypnotic regression. These people remembered what happened to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And there were plenty enough people out there 
that had already remembered enough of the experiences to share it that I didn't have to go looking for them and put them under a hypnotic regression to try and pull out more information. So we agreed not to do that part of it in the, in the research. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a really good thing because most of the stories that I have heard, the most the interesting stories, have come from people that have not had hypnosis at all. I think once you put somebody under hypnosis, then yeah, I mean you're pretty much the person that is doing the hypnotizing does kind of lead the witness, and that's why and some of the things like that are some of the other researchers that use hypnosis. I think some of their stuff is in, is invalid because of that. Well, there's another aspect of it, too, that you have to deal with. You know, people start having these memories. This is usually how it starts. You know, I've had these dreams. Mm -hmm. Most every person that's ever come to me in the very beginning stages of thinking they've been abducted, usually it starts out, well, I've had these dreams. And that's what they actually think of them as dreams. If you Now, they're wanting to know more. Okay, because they've recognized that these dreams they've been having are very similar to movies and television shows that show this experience as being alien abduction. The memories seem to fit what Hollywood has given them. Okay, so they want to go get answers for this. Is this really happening to me? So who are they going to go talk to? Are they they're going to go talk to their own medical doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Not hardly. <laughs> Most of them wouldn't dare tell the doctor that they've been having th- these experiences. Right. They'll, they'll be on antipsychotic medication or locked up somewhere. Um, so they don't do that. Where do they go? They look up a UFO researcher, an abduction researcher, and they go find that person. And that's the person they rely on to help them get the answers. You know that they've set themselves up. Right there. You know, they've already suggested that they've had, they've put the suggestion in their own minds themselves that I'm an abduction experiencer. You know, instead of going to somebody who is not openly accepting to it, it's more going to be more skeptical, like your family doctor, and it's going to look for everything else first to eliminate anything that could be happening to trigger this type of experience. Because a lot of things trigger this experience. Drugs can trigger this experience. We've already seen that in the work uh, that was done with DMT studies at New Mexico. Some of the work, some of the researchers, or the the researcher that was working on that, um, he had people come back from the DMT experience saying that they had encountered the same Entities that people recall in the abduction experience. Are you talking about uh, Strassman? Yes. Yeah. And excuse me, but that's a major red flag. You know, yeah. um, when you when you think about it, how can they both be in a you know one's in a drug induced state and the other one is in a so called memory from an abduction experience? But you see in the same entities, you know, there's problems there with that. So drugs do it. Um, they found that people with frontal lobe epilepsy, you know, have this experience where they feel that somebody's in the room with them, that there's a presence there, very similar to the abduction experience. There's a lot of things 
that you have to eliminate before you, you're left with the most spectacular answer. Okay. Um, when you're doing research, you don't automatically jump to the most spectacular answer that there could be. You eliminate everything else first. And what you're left with is possibly the answer. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and but we're seeing this, we're seeing this done in reverse though. Yeah. You know, the, the people are mm-hmm. actually setting themselves up to go and, and have them have their idea supported by a hypnotherapist or an abduction researcher saying, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, it, it must've been the little green man from Zeta Reticuli. They took you on this nuts and bolts spacecraft and you came back down and, uh, they're going to come back for you someday. And yeah, uh, exactly. And, and the two things that you just talked about, the frontal lobe epilepsy, the uh, DMT, uh, there's been other experiments like uh, Mark Persinger's, you know, that, that helmet that he would put on people with the uh, electromagnetic pulse into their sure. head and they would see the gray figures. All that is a big problem for the, nut, the quote unquote nuts and bolts people. Absolutely. And, and that's the way I do my research. I have to go at it from the nuts and bolts aspect. Okay. I just can't assume that their testimonies are correct. Okay. Um, you've got to have more than that. And these leading abduction researchers that we've had to rely on for information over the years, you know, they take verbatim what these people are saying, you know, under their hypnotic regressions. They're taking it, they're accepting what they're saying is what has actually happened. Yeah. And that's not the way research is done. You know, that's supporting evidence if you have other evidence, but that's not your actual evidence, you know, because testimony can be changed. You know, we know now over the years of doing this research that there's a big problem with false memory syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, and that's once they realize that that was a major player in this realm too, you know, what can we trust, you know? Is there any testimony at all that can be trusted? So you would just take these stories straight, no hypnosis, no leading the witness, just these straight stories and these, these accounts. So when did you start hearing about people stopping these experiences? How did that uh, come, come about? Well, that was a while. That was a while later after we started into the abduction experience. Um, there's a, there's a missing step that led me into that part of it. <laughs> okay. And I, I got to share that part because yeah. as we were having these meetings and here we have these abduction experiencers and contactees that are trying to understand even the people that had miraculous sightings, you know, it had changed their, their whole life view, you know, uh, they were confused. I mean, they, they couldn't understand what they had seen or experienced. Uh, they couldn't understand how it was possible. It just didn't make sense in their realities that they'd grown up with. Um, so they were in search of, you know, they were in search of answers as much as we were. But they were used, they were looking down avenues that wasn't part of our research, but they were still looking in other areas for, you know, for answers. And some of those other areas were, areas that seem to be spiritual in nature okay in Mm -hmm. in their nature and what i'm talking about here is i started coming across a lot of the experiencers that were dabbling in new age practices 
what I had come to understand was called New Age Practices and Studies. Uh, they were looking in those areas for an understanding of what they had gone through or what the experiences were about. A lot of them had come to believe in their own understanding that possibly the entities that were behind this, behind this experience were a higher spiritual entity. Um, and it was part of their, their trip to enlightenment, should I say. Um, their quest for enlightenment um, that the experience was part of. And, you know, I didn't understand any of this stuff. I was like, what are you people talking about? You know, mm-hmm. and they were dealing with crystals and they were dealing with, you know, uh, diets, herbal diets and all sorts of crazy things that I had never heard of before. But just because I hadn't heard of it before didn't make it wrong. Okay. Sure. It was something that I had to look at because it was part of this whole experience. I couldn't say just because they're studying crystals and rocks and things like that and, you know, out-of-body experiences and other things unrelated to this UFO phenomenon. I couldn't say I'm not going to look at that because it's not part of what I'm actually, you know, looking at here. What I realize is it is part of this. It is part of the entire UFO phenomenon. It's all tied in in some way. And if I'm going to be an honest and objective researcher, I could not say I'm not going to look at that part. I had to. And I had to find out why they were looking in that direction. What was pulling them that direction to to look for answers? What was it they were finding? answers that made that made some of them feel more comfortable in their experience you know these are things that i could not just turn my back to if i was going to be an honest researcher so i ended up spending time with them and, and trying to understand all of this and because i was coming at this as somebody who had no spiritual background you know all of a sudden i'm realizing that hey the spiritual thing's not so bad, you know? And I felt like at the time I was missing something in my life, and I didn't know what it was at the time. But this dab- dabbling in the New Age was seeming to fill that hole, okay? It was a spirituality that was easily accepted because unlike the religions that I had been introduced to as a youngster and up until high school, um, it didn't require anything of me. It was spirituality without accountability. Hmm. And that's seductive. And it meant everything you do doesn't matter whether some people think it's right or wrong. It's all part of your life experience. And it all puts you, it all, progresses you on that road of enlightenment, you know, that you're headed down to wherever you reach, you know, in the end. Um, I became part of all of that, you know, looking for what they were involved with, looking to understand this from a different perspective. So I had actually changed the, the perspective that I was actually doing the research from, from, you know, one who was totally grounded in nuts and bolts and, you know, uh, no spirituality at all when I first got into it, 
I looked at this phenomenon and then I had changed and actually had picked up a pseudo spirituality and started looking at this more from the paranormal aspect. And so I've had two different sets of glasses to look at this phenomenon through. Hmm. And that's when things started to change. And in 1996, um, I had a couple cases I was working on at the time. I had a girlfriend at the time, wasn't married. Um, and she worked with us in our abduction research. Um, and I welcomed her working with us because most of the abductees that we worked with were, were females. And they have some stories to tell that you really don't want to be listening to these things, these stories in a, in a room with them by yourself. You, know, you say, ah, I need somebody else in here. You know, it's like like working as a doctor. You know, you want to make right. sure the nurse is present. Right. Because you're going to end up running into issues. Because there were some very strong uh, sexual connotations from these experiences that they were having. So I welcomed her working with us, you know, in the abduction research and investigations. And she professed to be a Christian. Here I was you know, involved in the new age, uh, in all of its practices and studies. Uh, and here I had a girl that professed to be a Christian, wasn't really, you know, a walk to walk type Christian, but was professing to be a Christian. Uh, she knew the Bible and working with us in this realm, not understanding really what it was about, but she had a sense that, uh, made her step back. There was a couple of cases we were working on in 96, fall of 96, that were really giving us a hard time. I mean, not just the understanding of what was happening, but the people themselves were giving us a hard time. Um, calling us in the middle of the night, wanting to share something, you know. And we were dealing with some, I mean, it was almost mind control looking back on it, uh, some of the things that it looked like we were dealing with. And she stopped me and she says, you, you guys are having problems here. And I'm going, yeah, we are. And uh, she says, you know, I think you need to understand that there are some dangerous aspects to this research. And uh, I said, what do you mean? And she says, I think there's some dark aspects of this research. And I think you need to be protected, you know, from this part of it. And I don't think you understand that it's even there. And I wasn't understanding what she was talking about. And she says, well, you need protection from, you know, these types of cases, you know. And I said, I got all the protection I want. I reached in my pocket and pulled out my little bag of crystals, you know, and <laughs> each one has its ability to protect me from certain things. Yeah. Well, you don't believe those, Adam? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but that's where I was at the time. And she says, no, no, no. Put those back. She says, that's not the type of protection I'm talking about. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And she pulls a Bible out and hands it to me. And I said, no, 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 no. Uh, that's got nothing to do with what I do here. And she says, I think it does. And I, I think you need to, to let me show you a couple of things. And I said, nope, not at all. And then she called me, called me out. She said, you know, I can't tell you how many times you have told people in my presence how you are the most open-minded, objective researcher there is. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, here we go. I just got called out on my own thing. And I said, all right, show me what you got. And she sat me down. And for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel put to me in a way that was just so powerful and so easy to understand. And when she was done, I, I looked at her and I said, 
I want that protection. And she says, I thought you would. And I said, tell me more. And, you know, I, like I said, I had grown up in the church, you know, with a background in, in, in the Protestant, you know, faith. So I, it wasn't that I was ignorant of it. It's just that I didn't accept it. And the Lord used her in a way that was just amazing to be able to open my eyes and open my ears to understand what it was actually about at that moment in my life. And I was 42 years old, you know, before I finally heard it the way it actually needed to hit me. And um, I said, I want that. And I made a profession of faith with her in, you know, in her presence and went to see my, I didn't know where to go from there. I knew that, you know, people, you know, went forward in the church and made a public profession of faith and Protestant religion. I know they were baptized. So these are things I, I said, you know, I guess I got to do those things now. I didn't know where to go. I didn't go to a church anywhere, but my parents lived nearby and they had a church. So I thought, wow, they must be, <laughs> must think I'm a really bad guy to have gone this long without following in their steps. So I did go to my parents' church, made a public profession of faith where they could see it and people that knew me and was baptized in the church and life changed from there. But it was right away. I said, what am I now? What is a Christian? You know, tell me, fill me in. I'm still, you know, an inquisitive kind of guy. I'm still a researcher. I'm still an investigator. Sure. Let's take a break. Tell me what a Christian is. So that's where my focus went. And I got involved with, uh, my partner who was also a Christian at the time, but didn't understand that what we were dealing with wasn't what it actually was. Uh, and he says, you know what? He says, now that you're listening, he says, uh, I've got this friend that's got a Bible study course that we can go through and, uh, bring you up to date on what a Christian is and get you some Bible study, you know, in at the same time. I said, that'd be great. So we spent Christmas time. I had two weeks off from work, uh, 14 days of videos we watched in the evenings at this guy's house. And I started to learn and understand what a Christian was. And that's what the time when the Lord showed me that this is not what you think it is. You know, this is something that is much more sinister. And you guys have not understood this. Mm. And I thought, fine and dandy, but, you know, prove it. You know, I need some better, something better than that. I just can't tell people that I've been working with. This is not what you think it is. You got to give me something to take back to show them. And good Lord did, you know, there was a case that we went back and looked at. And when we, we had looked at, we had done the interview six months before my partner and I recorded it on VHS tape. But when we went back and reviewed it, it's like we're both looking at each other going, do you remember any of this? And he says, no. And I said, I don't either. You know, it's like we sat here through this guy's whole interview and did not hear a word he said. But luckily, we recorded it for this later time. Because as we were listening to the tape and, and watching it, this guy is laying out an experience that he was having, how it started that evening with the dogs barking in the front yard. It was in rural Florida in Christmas, a town called Christmas, just west of where I live. And uh, he remembered that the dogs were barking, agitated in the front yard. It was just getting early evening. Um, 
kept looking out the window to see if he, what they were barking at. He couldn't see anything. Tried to go to sleep that night. Just couldn't go down. Couldn't go to sleep. Finally dozed off. And he had an experience. Typical type experience. Except that during the experience, everything turned to utter fear. And he remembers being held up in the air. He couldn't see anything. Everything was gray around mm. him. And he felt being held up in the pole with, by a pole shoved up his rectum. And it was in sheer terror and pain. Jeez. He happened to be a, a new Christian himself at the time this had happened. And the only thing, knee-jerk reaction he could do was call out, Jesus, 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 or Jesus, help me. And when he did, in that instant, the experience stopped. Hmm. And he woke up in the bed, and his wife woke up next to him and said, why are you jumping on the bed? And when he shared that to us, you know, in that video, once we realized now that we're seeing it and hearing it, I looked at my partner and I said, did you hear that? He said, yeah. And I said, if this is real, <clears throat> this is unheard of. Because everything we studied in the, re in the other researchers around the world was that an abduction experience could not be stopped. Okay, everything they had stated in their books and their videos, their talks was that you couldn't stop an experience. But yet we just had a guy who did. And if that's real, this is huge. And if it's real, are there more like it? And that's where our focus went with CE4 research. Okay, we ended up putting the information out there and testimony started coming in of other people that have been able to stop this experience. So here's the question that I want, I want to ask you. And, uh, that is, have you, is it just the means of calling out to Jesus? Are there any people in any other cultures, any other religions that have had experiences, maybe calling out to other, to other deities and it stops, or is it just, just Jesus? That's a this question what, you get a lot, I know. <laughs> I, I do, I do. And it, it's, it can be a complicated answer. It's yeah. a yes and no answer. And it's a yes and no answer, and here's why. <clears throat> there have been, next to none, <laughs> cases reported of another personage stopping the experience. Okay, next to none. There's nobody out there documenting them because it isn't happening. But the, there have been a couple that people, other researchers have reported. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the problem in looking at that is I've seen where they've recorded that the experience has been able to be stopped, but not the phenomenon terminated from their life. Okay. You know what I mean by that? Yes. Okay. Yes. In other words, it's either continued in their life, they've been able to stop it on that one experience, or in many cases, there's been a trade-off. And what I mean by a trade-off is that these people have been given some kind of paranormal gift that they continue to use for, let's say, like... Uh, 
a person who does, you know, um, readings on people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Like with tarot cards or something. Sure. But none of those type of people are ever 100% accurate. You know, so they're giving, they're, they've been giving a gift. They've been given a gift that they feel makes them important, but they're still dealing with a lie. Mm-hmm. And that's been the trade off for the other personages. So they may start, they may stop an incident, but not the reoccurring phenomenon in their life. So yeah. uh, many of the people that you have helped and they have, they've been able to stop it completely. Yes. By calling out to Jesus. And then it never happens again to that, to that person. By, and it's not just calling out, it's actually developing a personal relationship. Sure. What, what we found when we, when we first got into, when I first became a Christian and still doing UFO abduction research, you know, I, I talked to my partner at the time and I said, why don't we put out a hypothesis here or put out a question and, you know, let's use it as a piece of research. And, uh, and as, you know, looking, take one piece of the puzzle and let's go after it. And he said, sure. What do you got in mind? I said, well, my question is, are Christians being abducted by aliens? Are Christians having the abduction experience? That was the question. And as we started into the research and started getting findings back, our research showed us two things. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. And that was unexpected because we figured it was going to be a, a yes or no, but it came up yes and no. When I say yes and no is because what we found were people who were professing with the, you know, with the mind, with the head, that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. We titled them the talk to talk believers. They were open to this experience. Those who were the walk, the walk, the Bible-believing, God-fearing, walking hand-in-hand personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they were not having these experiences. And what it led us to was an understanding that the experience itself was an act of opening a door. Because what we found over the years is one of the answers to the questions that are still being asked by leading UFO abduction researchers is, why does this happen to certain people? They don't have an answer, but we ended up with three answers. And it can be all three or one of the three or a combination of the three. The one we found was people actually asked for the experience. And you think, wow, people would do that? Yeah, they do that. Um, I've been at UFO conferences working vendor tables where the people are going around table to table and they come to our table not understanding what we're doing. They just see abductions and they go, man, I wish I could have that experience so I could understand what this is about. I'm going, you know, please be careful what you ask for. And if you ever do have the experience and you don't like it, give us a call. You know, we'll help you out. Um, and off they go. Um that's one way they look for answers, you know? Yeah. 
The second one is people who are unknowingly open the door to this experience by dabbling in anything that's occult in nature, paranormal in nature, or any of the things that God warned us about not to be part of. That's an open door. <clears throat> and it, these people have some type of open door unknowingly. They don't even realize that they had opened the door that, or that they shouldn't have opened that. Um, but it opens them up to where the potential is there for the experience to happen. But the third one puzzled us for a long time because I'm not sure where that one was coming from. A lot of prayer to get an answer for that one. But I had adults that would come to me sharing their experiences, and I asked the question, how long have you had these experiences? And they remember having experiences as a child. Right. You know, and I'm going like, well, how is that possible? They didn't knowingly ask for it. They didn't even know what to ask for, and they didn't unknowingly open doors to things because they're innocent children. So where's this coming from? And then as I started regrouping the questions and going back and talking to them again, I said, do you have any memory about your family life? You know, sure, I remember family life. Well, tell me about it. What was your dad like? What were your mom like? When did your parents go to church? Were they into anything, you know, socially? And every time I would find that the open door was with the parents. And, you know, scripture backs that up. The scripture tells us that the spiritual head of the household, being the man, keeps the spiritual covering over his family. And if the parent of the house, the head of the household, is not doing that, then the children are wide open to everything that the enemy's got to throw at them. So it's very important how we raise our kids and protect our kids. Hmm. Yeah, I've often wondered about the generational thing because you do you do hear about that, and you do hear about um, how the alien abduction phenomenon is, can be in generations. Well, you know, I used to hear that too, and I used to people would believe that they're, they're tracking a bloodline or something sure. like that. Yeah, but I don't believe that's that's the issue here. I believe that it's the same as alcoholism. Alcoholism is not a genetic disorder; it's a social disorder. You know, if you grow up in an alcoholic family, the odds are you're going to be open to being an alcoholic. Doesn't mean you'll yeah. be one, but the potential is there for you to be open to that. And I believe this is the same. This works the same way. It's not a genetic inheritance that you're getting that you're, you know, going to have this experience. It's not that they're tracking families. It's that you are a result of something that somebody else did you're a consequence you know your parents did not keep the covering over the household like they should have yeah yeah that's that's an interesting it's an interesting way to look at it for sure uh i want to talk a little bit about the nature though what we're dealing with what is the nature of this phenomenon what are we dealing with something in particular what kind of entity are we dealing with well, we don't have complete answers to that. There are a lot of theories that people will throw a name on them right away. Um, I used to do that myself in the beginning, but I I don't think that's the main issue here is to try and put an actual name on what these entities are. 
we the main thing is understanding how they work and understanding that there is an authority over them is the most important thing because without actual fact of yes this is their name um it's speculative and i try not to be speculative i try to mm-hmm. catch myself when i am and i i pull back and i go you know i'm sorry i said that but let's put this back in order um we do know these entities are absolutely deceptive <clears throat> the entities that are behind this experience and we're talking about the experiences that are left over. Remember in the beginning, we talked about there's a lot of things that can trigger this experience. Once you've eliminated all of those and you're left with a small percentage that seem to be paranormal or spiritual in nature, these are the ones we're talking about here. Um, everything else has been ruled out. It's not a medical condition. It's not a drug condition. Um, it's not sleep paralysis. It's something entirely different. Uh, a lot of times it comes with messages. Um, the messages in the communication during these experiences um, are always anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-creation. Uh, um, you know, these are the messages that come with it. So they're, they're whatever this is, whoever is behind it is delivering a false gospel um, compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're told in Scripture to beware of any angel that brings, you know, another gospel. So, yeah, that does that was... mean they're angels? I don't know. Um, we've heard of the abilities of angels and some of the abilities that we've seen of God's angels, messenger angels, are very similar to what we see these entities are able to do. Um, some of them. Yeah. But I don't think these are God's angels because they're not delivering God's message. Okay, delivering a different message. Um, we know that there is a demonic realm in the Christian perspective, and these this message they bring and the way they act is what I would say demonic in nature, and that's about as strict as I can get on calling this experience. Sure. Um, do I call it demons? I can't. I don't know if it is. Do I call it fallen angels? I don't know if it is. Yeah. All I know is it's demonic in nature. And when we look at the book of, you know, the book of Mark and we look at Jesus when he comes across the demoniacs, you know, and he tells the entities that are possessing these people or you know harassing these people to leave they do you know and I, I that's what we're seeing here you know hmm. we're seeing a very similar experience a very similar thing that's happening and what i what we did find is if this is something that's based in scripture it should be able to have the answers in scripture to show us what we're dealing with and as I worked with this over the years, I kept looking for where is this offensive move, okay? Where does it say in Scripture that what these people are doing, calling out in Jesus' name, what backs this up that this is the way this should work? And, you know, as I sat in many church services and I got to hear uh, a favorite 
sermon was putting on the whole armor of God. Um, it was Ephesians um, 17, let's see, 13 through 17. And, you know, it's it, it identifies in Ephesians 6, 12 who this enemy is. Right. Okay. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realm. Mm-hmm. That's who these entities are. Did I say a specific title for them? No. But this is what Scripture tells us who we wrestle against. They're not flesh and blood entities. It states that right in Scripture. So we're not dealing with a physical entity. This is a spiritual entity. Okay? Therefore, if we're dealing with Scripture and and we believe Scripture for what it's saying, it tells us that nobody's being harassed by any extraterrestrial. This is the description of what this entity is, Ephesians 6.12. And then that sermon I told you about is how do you protect yourself from this entity, this spiritual warfare, the one we war against. <clears throat> and that's the chapter, or verses 17, or 13 through 17. And it tells you about putting on the whole armor of God to protect yourself. The only problem I had with that is, is, you know, when you, if you put on all of this armor and it tells you to stand, you know, against the wiles of the enemy, at some point you're going to tire, correct? We are all human. We tire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you let your weak point show and the enemy gets in. We all deal with this. We all lose to the enemy all the time in one way or another because we can't stay that focused. We can't stay that strong. We can't stay that upright in, in, you know, in battle. We are weak. That's why we need the Lord at our side. So somewhere was missing because here I had testimonies of people who had been able to defeat the enemy. So where's the scripture that talks about they can do that? And why isn't that being told? Why are we left standing in a in a, in a whole thing of armor and a sword in our hand and a helmet on our head, and we're standing in defense. We're left standing in defense, okay? Hmm. Because there is more. Why we're left standing there, I don't know. Yeah. But I found more. The Lord showed me more. He says, just go two verses farther and you got your answer. Well, I'd never heard the sermon taught past verse 17. And I went two verses more myself, and there's this verse, 19, that says, That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, speak out loud, in, in essence, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. In other words, what this verse 19 is saying, keep it in context. You're talking about warfare with the enemy, right? We're still in that same chapter. We're still in the same context. So you're going to speak out loud to the enemy. And what are you telling him? That you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's what these people have done in the testimonies that I share. Right. 
Yes. They have called out in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, and they have that authority because they have a personal relationship. And, the ex- and they're able to defeat the enemy, not left standing in defense. They're able to defeat the enemy in the same manner that Jesus defeated the enemy each time with the demoniacs in the book of Mark. Hmm. That was a good analogy there. I have another question, but I want to get Rob. Do you have a question? Anything that you wanted to ask or? Um, no, you're, you're kind of, as they pop into my head, you're sort of addressing them. Like, you know what I'm thinking, which is kind of freaky. Um, no, I I was, I was going to ask earlier about the, um, like what it's the same question Adam asked about, um, alternative faiths and, uh, you know, cause I, I was kind of, when I, when I first was looking at the subject this afternoon, thinking the kind of the same thing that, um, the power of faith is a, a pretty powerful thing too, especially over our, our psychology. And if this could be a more psychology or psychological, um, experience that, you know, if that, it could, that element could play a part into it as well. But then you answered it before I got a chance to raise it. So. Now, keep in mind what we've come across and what the other researchers have come across, too, is is dealing with the deception that seems to be so prevalent in this experience is when we first came across the early testimonies, and I was working not just with Guy Malone, but also with uh, Pastor Chris Ward, Dr. Chris Ward at the time. And the three of us are what founded Alien Resistance uh, back in 1999-2000. Oh, okay. And, um, um, Pastor Ward passed on uh, last year, um, but you know he was very powerful working with us and and keeping us grounded and and bringing us to an understanding of of this experience and what could be behind it. Um, he made a point in the I'm trying to think of which conference it was in Roswell, 2004, um, 2004 conference, I think it was that guy had put together where he he introduced half of the speakers um, that were secular speakers for that conference. We mixed it between the Christian perspective and the secular perspective. And Ann Druffel, um, who wrote the book um, Stopping Alien Abduction, and in her book, good old Catholic lady herself, uh, great She's she's everybody's mom. <laughs> uh, great lady. I really like her, uh, especially when I got to meet her. And she included, you know, the idea that other personages had been able to stop the experience as also other ways of people using thought screen helmets or tinfoil or garlic or, <laughs> you know, having a turning a fan on and leaving it running every night. Or, you know, there was a lot of different reported ways. Um, and all she did was document, you know, she didn't say that these were absolute, but she just put out, she put a book together saying, here's what I found doing the internet research is people said they'd stopped them in all these different ways. Um, and Chris Ward pulled me back on this and he says, we got a problem. And I says, what? And he says, we got a problem of terminology. And he says, you're standing up here telling people that, we found that the only way to stop an alien abduction is to call in the name of Jesus Christ. And here we're sharing the same conference with a lady that's getting up here with a published book 
saying that these other ways have worked also. Uh-huh. And I said, you know what? You're right. I said, we have more than that. We have evidence that we can stop this experience, help people stop this experience as a life pattern. She doesn't have that in any of the research in her book. None of them say that. But what our testimonies was showing, yes, many of them can say, I no longer have this experience at all. And that's something that the other ones couldn't say. Right. Yeah, you can't, I mean, the the uh, the tinfoil helmet isn't going to help very much, which somebody actually does have that for sale, by the way. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, Joe, um, about the hybridization stuff, the hybrids. Uh, you know, this is something that's very popular, especially like David Jacobs. You know, he talks about this a lot. And I'd just like to get your views on it because I'm pretty sure they're incredibly different from what uh, David Jacobs would say about it. How does that does that fit in? How does that fit in with that experience? Uh, very badly, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, it came on the scene like like I don't know like gangbusters here about ten years ago. Um, it was something that had been talked about by Jacobs for years. Right. That he had come across it in testimonial evidence. But remember, we're dealing with testimonial evidence under hypnotic regression. And he accepted everything as being valid. I mean, there were no lies. Everything was accurate. You know, and you can't do that with testimony. We know that testimony can be different from 10 different people seeing the same event. Okay, we know that false memories are a major problem with these te- with these testimonies, and everything else that influences people in their thinking, and and the the power of suggestion can change people's thinking. You know, so there's a whole bunch of problems with taking this testimony to be actual fact, but Jacobs does that. This is actual actual fact. These people actually had a hybrid child actually mm-hmm. was given birth, baby taken, baby shown later to the mother. He takes this as being actual fact. And we've already talked okay. about the problems with hypnosis. So yes, and yeah. there's all sorts of problems. of so even considering taking this, these testimonies as actual fact, I do not even, and, and I'll I mean, make the powerful one here right now. Um, the testimonies that I hear from people that I talk to, um, the testimonies of that they share of the experience themselves, I do not take as fact. They do, and I allow them to do it because to them, this is what they remember. Okay, right. Trying to prove that them wrong is is almost ridiculous to try and do that. I don't tell them they're wrong. I know they're wrong because I know now what this experience is about. And they will eventually learn and understand and accept the experience of what it actually is as the Lord works with them. Okay? And that happens through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The thing is, something has happened to them. Okay? But understanding that what what they believe they're experiencing is not really what's happening, we understand now that the 
idea of the hybridization has been just part of the elevated deception to put on these people. And I see it as a control factor, okay, because it's used to get these people to believe that they've been chosen for a special purpose. And if you can get people to believe that you are special and you are on a special mission to share a message with humanity, you are going to be sold out. And this is what happens to a lot of experiencers. It doesn't matter how bad or how horrific the experience is. Eventually, they side with their captors. This is the Stockholm Syndrome. Right. When I come across people who have reached that level of belief of their experience, it's very hard to bring them back. Okay? The best time to catch people to be able to help them is when you can plant those seeds of doubt and it starts to rattle their brain going, well, you're right, that doesn't make sense. And you have that open door right then and there for that moment to be able to help them come back to reality and see that it doesn't make a lot of sense. This conference we got coming up in July, or, you know, July 4th weekend, mm -hmm. if you look at the, the researchers he's brought in, Guy Malone has brought in for this conference, it's nothing but red flag after red flag after red flag dealing with the UFO abduction phenomenon. And when you put enough red flags in your hand, you've got to stand back and go, this isn't what it, I thought it was. Yeah. And that's the purpose I've been trying to do here is to show that this isn't what you think it is. But there are some Christian researchers that um, have put some stock into the hybrid stuff, though, and they really have. think that it's real. And, and that's the problem that I've come across over the past 10 years. Yeah. Is they took a couple scriptures verses out of context. First of all, they took the idea. Well, I came across this thing from Chuck Mitzler in '97, where he talks about Genesis six four, and supposedly some entities came and mated with the women of the earth and had an offspring. Okay, they made a connection from his book Alien Encounters, where. They said it's similar, and it looks like what David Jacobs is talking about, people having. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is repeating itself. So then they take a scripture out of context, as in the days of Noah. Okay, When you read the section in Matthew where it talks about what happened in the days of Noah, nowhere is any of that talked about. But they take a leap of faith, their faith, in whatever, David Jacobs, I guess, and they say, well, this has got to be what they're referring to here, okay? They didn't state it, but this is, I'm seeing this. I'm, I'm really seeing this, okay? They're trusting an inaccurate research, okay, from a secular researcher to base their theory that what happened in Genesis 6-4 is the same thing that's happening today. Right, um, like the return of the really, Nephilim, the, the watcher angels, the return thing. of the Nephilim, yeah. And then they bring in the bloodline aspect of it, that the bloodlines have continued through time, and now we're dealing with people who you know are running the earth and everything else. It gets into conspiratorial stuff, 
you know, uh-huh. or the Illuminati or the bloodline of these people. And then when you start dealing with bloodline, you really got problems, you know, and yeah. keep in mind, the whole thing is based off David Jacobs flawed secular research. Yeah. This is the uh, this is the one of the things that they, that some of them get into. And now I don't know one specific one that we're maybe talking about, um, but some of them get into this whole serpent seed theory thing. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Yeah, that's the demonic bloodline. Yeah, that stuff to me is pretty frightening. Because you're dealing with something that could be like, well, these people are these people are not human, therefore they can't be saved, and you, you get in some pretty dangerous territory there. You are because if you look at history, anytime the idea of a demonized section or sector of people has come about or has been made to appear demonized, it's usually followed by a holocaust. Yep. That's dangerous thinking. Yes. And to, and to, you know, I'll bring this one up. I came across this situation and it just infuriated me to no end. I was at a conference in Nashville back in 2010. I was there. Yeah. Uh, the end of days conference, mm-hmm. you know, and that whole conference was being videoed, you know, as a package to be able to be put out. But, you know, it never did. It mm-hmm. never came about. And I kind of wondered about that. Um, but we got all the way through that conference. There were some powerful speakers. And we got all the way through the conference and we got to the panel discussion. And I remember, you know, the, the moderator for the panel discussion opened it up for questions from the audience. And here we were all there on a panel ready to answer their questions. And this poor woman came up and was just in utter tears and distraught. And she started out telling us that she had been told that she was a hybrid. Mm. And yet she was hearing that as a hybrid, as of that bloodline, she could never have salvation. And I thought that is the worst thing that could ever be told to somebody. And I looked at Dime Malone, who was sitting next to me, and I said, you're going to take this one? He says, all yours. And that's when I, told, I got up and I said, this whole thing is a lie. And that infuriated a couple of the speakers that were there because their whole, their whole idea of, you know, their publishing of their books and their writings and everything was based on the idea of this whole hybrid idea. Right. Which is a lie, which is based off of, again, flawed secular research. But yet good Christian researchers are hanging on to this flawed secular research as a basis for their own work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unacceptable. I mean, it's become a cottage industry now. I mean, that was seven years ago. Now you see this stuff and it's all over the place. Sure. It's sensational. It's seductive. It's knowledge that the next person doesn't have. It's attractive, just the same as I saw everything being packaged in the new age when I was involved yeah. with that. Yeah. It was all about special knowledge. 
that I've got something the next person doesn't have, and it makes you feel special. That's exactly how the enemy works. I wish I could remember the guy's name, but there was a pastor that, I mean, he got in trouble in the 90s for uh, making people believe that they had been satanically ritually abused. Right. Uh, You may know who I'm talking about, but later on, I mean, he changed his tune after satanic panic uh, wasn't popular anymore. Doug Riggs. That's yep. who it is. He so yep. he changed his tune, and then later on, he was saying that uh, that there were Nephilim babies, and that uh, he had these women that were giving birth to, ne- to Nephilim babies, and all. It just it just got completely ridiculous. The whole thing, and and he's kind of disappeared again, thankfully. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's how ridiculous this whole thing got. So, you know, yeah. when I first started out in this 20-some years ago and God showed me the truth of all of this, I knew who the enemy was and I knew who I knew who needed help. And it was the people in the secular realm that were being deceived by this, by this message and by this experience. You know, and, and the warfare was, was drawn lines. You know, it was between those that, that truly understood the truth and those that didn't. And... Now it's become so blurred, and you know, I wonder if it's because we were able to show the truth that it's become that way. Yeah, that the warfare is now amongst other believers. You know, I spend more time having to correct believers that are teaching false messages and things that are not accurate, that are just perpetuating the deception for people, you know, and keeping them in bondage than I was when I first started. You know, and it, it's so hard to to get off of that just to be able to help people that, you know, that really need the help. And it's a shame, but I know that's the enemy. It's the way he works. Yeah. Yep. People just get on their thing and it just becomes, it, it becomes a belief system and just, uh, yeah, it's, it's frightening to think about. Uh, what's your thoughts on Roswell? Do you have any thoughts on what happened there? Yeah. A misunderstanding. I believe is what's happened there. It's become yeah. a myth. And yeah, I agree. You know, you know what's what's fascinating, and I I'm hoping he shows up in Roswell because, you know, I told you how I started into all this UFO crash at Roswell. Yeah. Well, it was just a few months ago that the author of that book has come out and said I was wrong. Are you talking After about all Smith? These years, um. I'm thinking it was him or the other. They, they co-authored yeah. the book, but the ones come out and said, I was wrong. This wasn't what we thought it was. Yeah. You know, and that takes a lot of courage to be able to say that, you know, and I had to deal with that myself. There was a point in my research where I would leave the possibility of an abduction experience actually being a physical experience. I had to leave that door open. I didn't have an answer to tell me that that was that was not true. You know, I was leaving the possibility open. But when the Lord showed me that, no, this is not, there's no possibility there. This is not a physical experience. People are not taken anywhere. When I was finally able to grasp that understanding that there is no evidence showing anything that people are taken anywhere, that it's actually a spiritual event. There are, there are attributes to it that appear physical, but it's not a physical event. 
And when I finally had to admit to myself and admit to everybody that I had told otherwise, I developed a lot of enemies and a lot of good friends that I had been working with over the years turned against me because I had made a turnaround and they, they took it personal. It's like they thought I was coming after them and saying they were wrong. They need to find it for themselves. I'm not saying they are wrong. I'm saying yeah. I was wrong, you know, and I, and I can no longer stand on that research. Um, I actually had a, a, a good friend at the time that was a very good writer and I, I'm not a writer. I don't mind speaking. I can speak and do talks with no notes, you know, no problem, but I can't even write my own, you know, brother and sister a letter. So I needed somebody to help get this information out. And I had a good friend at the time. I said, you know, I like your writings. I said, would you mind helping me get this information out in a book form? And he said, sure. And it got all the way to the time of print and it was in print and it was ready to be published, you know, and, and go right on out there. And I, after I read it, I had to look back on it. And it was right at that time that I had made that, that change. It was right at that time when I realized I have, I was accepting a lie also. And I had not, I needed to stop and, and make an about face. And when I did that, I had to tell him, I, I can't support this book, you know, um, great job on the book, but I can't support the book because he still believed that way. And, you know, he pretty much wrote the book. I gave him all the, the research that he needed to put it together. Yeah. And I told him, I, I can't support it. You know, I can't. And so the only book I ever got with my name on it, along with his, and I can't even support it because I made that change. I had to fess up and be honest yeah, and I, say, no, he still says that, you know, that the possibility is there for this to be a physical event. And it's not. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with that completely. Um, Joe, where can people see uh, – your writings and uh, things that you talk about, uh, what, what your website is, and also what will you be speaking about at uh, at, at uh, Roswell at the uh, Modern Challenges to the Extraterrestrial Hypothesis Conference? Well, I've got a website that's been up for years. Um, I don't have much opportunity to do any changes to it, but that's okay. Sure. It's still <laughs> it's still doing its job. Um, there are some other avenues that I've been working through also that, that people can, can can touch base with me. Um, the actual website itself is www.ce, the number four, research.com. That's the website. I also have a YouTube channel, CE4 Research YouTube channel. All my videos, all the talks that I've been able to do over the years are up there free to watch. I have never charged for anything. I don't want to charge for anything. Um, the Lord gave me this truth freely. And why would I charge somebody else for what God gave me freely? You know, and I've trusted in another scripture that he has made available for all of us. And I learned that one from that Bible study course that I went through back in the early days. It says, you know, I will meet your needs. Trust in me. I will meet your needs your wants and your needs. And I've never been without because of that, because I've never, and I believe it's because I honestly give it away freely that he has met my needs, you know, and I've spent a lot of my own money over the years to, to get this message out, but it's like, I never spent it. You know, it seems it's like tithing, you know, he says, test me, you know, and it's kind of like the same thing. Yeah. So it's all there. Uh, everything's on the website, radio shows, um, 
papers that we've had written, articles we've had written. Uh, the testimonies are on the website. I've got a, about 150 of them that I've got published up there. Wow. They still come in, and I'm dealt with hundreds, and I would say upwards of 600, you know, in, in total that I've dealt with over the 20 some years that'll, that are evidence of what this experience is, you know, what's behind this experience. And the testimonies are not testimony to show that the abduction experience is real. That's not what I'm trying to prove in any way. It's not what I'm trying to show evidence of. What I'm showing evidence of with the testimonies that I share is that the name and authority of Jesus Christ stops this horrific experience. It's a hope that nobody else is offering for this horrific experience. It's a hope that works. It's also something that science is looking for, this whole research realm is looking for, and that's repeatability. Repeatability in a hypothesis, okay? We, we put it out there, you know, that this, this works, this works for people. And I say, don't trust me, trust the evidence, you know, talk to the evidence. If you want this experience stopped and you come to us, I can show you how this has worked for other people. If you choose what they chose, it stops. That's repeatability. Nobody's ever been able to call down a, a, a sighting a second time. Nobody's been able to call in an experience the second time. But I can guarantee you that you come to me for help, we can show you and we can help you stop this experience just like others have. So that's repeatability that's being looked at. That is something to understand that this is real. Yes. And I'm going to think- I also have a Facebook page, um, CE4 Research Facebook page. Put it in the search on the search block on Facebook, CE4 Research. You'll find me there. Uh, you'll also see me under um, Unholy Communion. Uh, that's another one, the Facebook page that I put. Now, a lot of the testimonies, since I don't have too much access to work in the website myself, a lot of the newer testimonies I put up on my Facebook pages, and gotcha. you can see them there. They still come in. I get them on a weekly basis, testimonies. Wow. People that have never heard my work before from your show are going to contact me and go, I got to tell you the story. I got to tell you my testimony. So every time I do a show, every time I do a talk, every time a video gets played, somebody new gets to see this and go, hey, I got another testimony. And my question for the secular realm all of these years has been, how many testimonies does it take for you to understand what I'm telling you is real? That this was, this is really happening, that the name and authority of Jesus Christ can stop this experience because I will give you what it takes. And they never stop coming in. And there's more and more and more. Now, what am I talking about in Roswell? Just this. It, it's my testimony, like I've told you today. Um, because it's a whole new world. The people coming to Roswell are going to be people that have never heard this. Yeah. All they've seen is everything that Hollywood throws at them. It's true. This is the other side of the coin. Okay. And I believe that this is the most powerful evidence in the entire UFO abduction history and realm that shows the nature, the true nature of what's behind this experience. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for what you do, and I want to thank you for being on with us as well. Uh, so stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out. And, guys, we will be right back to 
close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. <laughs> so, uh, this is kind of a late, late interview, and I want to thank my good friend Adam for the Starbucks double shot energy drink that he gave me. Not a sponsor yet. <laughs> um, it, it worked really well. <laughs> and, is it still working really well? It is. It is. I don't think I'm going to go to sleep anytime soon. How, how's that mix with Evan Williams? Is that, how's that feel in your stomach? Surprisingly well. Yeah. It's like, um, maybe we found a new mixed drink. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of legal speedballing. You, you got, you got your uppers and downers and you find a balance in the middle kind of thing. Um, so wow, Joe Jordan, you've known this guy for a long time, or known of this guy? Yeah, I've known of him. Uh, I would say, God, man, I, the first time I ever heard Future Quake was actually an interview with him. Someone had it posted up on one of their like blog sites that I just ran across, and it was about UFOs and aliens being actual demons because I was really all into L.A. Marzulli stuff at the time. And uh, so I ran into that interview, and the first time I heard Joe Jordan and Dr. Future was that interview. And later on, I didn't really start listening to Future Quake because uh, I went to see L.A. Marzulli speak in the at the future, not the future Congress, that was something else, at the last day's conference. Tom Dunn, who did the testable, actually put that conference on. Okay. And so I went to hear him speak, and that was, it was like Ellie Marzulli, uh, and I ended up meeting Guy there, uh, meeting Dr. Future there, Tom Bionic there, um, Chris Pinto, uh, a few other people. Uh, Chris White was there, so it was pretty much like, a and Joe Jordan was there as well. Um, so... Like the only people that I see or talk to on a regular basis, of course, is my is Doctor Future and Guy. Right. Um, this is like I've heard a lot about this conference. This was kind of a pivotal moment. This is like the, yeah. the birth of Conspiracy Normal. Yeah, in a way, it was. Even though I didn't start Conspiracy Normal for another two years uh, after that point, when I met Doctor Future, I started listening to Future Quake, and then right Future Quake ended. So I was kind of like, well, I want to do something to kind of like carry on the torch. So I started Conspiracy Normal out of that. So yeah, that was kind of like the the nucleus of Conspiracy Normal, if you think about it. But also like uh, I remember Chris Putnam was there, uh, which sadly he has passed on um, in the last couple of months, which was kind of sad and shocking and unexpected. But uh, he was actually there as well, um, Derek Gilbert. So it was kind of like it, it was kind of like this. Um, it's kind of like the the Sex Pistols playing in Manchester, 
1976, and they inspired like Joy Division, and which later became New Order, and like The Fall and The Buzzcocks, and you know, it's it's kind of like that whole thing, right. a, little, a little something <laughs> from punk rock history. <laughs> you know, if anybody gets that, but Adam's yeah. other passion. Yeah, that's yeah, that's my other passion. But I really just want to get your thoughts on because you were feverishly taking notes on this one. I was, and well, it's because I, you know, I, I come from that that secular mindset in that world that that a lot sure. of our, a lot of our guests kind of. And um, I expect <clears throat> this to be a little controversial. I yeah, do. for sure. And I well, I, this time I want I want to take notes because. First of all, he's um, he's really done a great job of taking like a scientific approach and applying it to something that he knows and feels is more of a spiritual thing. Yeah, which I, I can't commend him enough for. You know, um, and it, it's it's just it's hard for me. It's a little uncomfortable approaching things that are religious, being a, not a religious person per se. So, so this time I was going to be you know I'm organized. I'm, sure. But, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I agree with him on and um first and foremost the fact that I, there i don't see any kind of link between nuts and bolts aliens whether or not they're here like you know that's a whole nother discussion because nothing has linked the two the the abduction experience which is always a i'm sleeping which is a a sensitive psychological state to be in to begin with um not to mention evolutionarily that's when we're our most vulnerable and you know, there's a, a lot of things that tie into to the psychology of, you know, where you sleep and how you sleep and safety and, you know, a lot of that, lot of that kind of stuff. So that's more my stance. I, I, I really can't break away from the fact that I think it's more of a psychological event, not necessarily sleep paralysis, but possibly something similar mm -hmm. that just we just haven't done enough studies to kind of pin down. Mm -hmm. But... At the same time, if what he's doing is helping people, then it's a great thing, you know. And he's not out there trying to sell books; he's out there trying to help people, right? Which I think is is amazing. So mm -hmm. I just I really want to commend him on those points, right? But I mean, as far as like the Christianity aspect of it, I don't think that you have a problem, <clears throat> even as someone that's not a Christian himself. No, no. If it's if it works, then then that's fine. I just I when I when I had asked him about like when you asked him originally, yeah, yeah. You know, if uh, if this works out for other faiths, he kind of um, he didn't dodge it, but he it doesn't sound like he's really looked into it a whole lot because he's not interested in it. You know, he said there hasn't been any cases where it's absolved somebody like or it's it's helped them out on a permanent basis. But I'd be interested to see if anyone else has done studies where, like, you know, you take a, a Wiccan that's having abduction experiences and have them call out for the goddess and something or whatever, you know somebody happens to believe really strongly in and whether or not that helps. I just, I'd be interested to see if that's the case. Well, bad choice of words, but devil's advocate here for a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it because now we could take the thing of the whole thing out about him, them, them changing, not, not just stopping the incident, but changing their lives to the point that, this this phenomenon does not happen to them anymore. We'll take right. that out for a second. Okay. 
So is there a possibility that, okay, Joe and the other guys are looking at this because they are in a Western Christian context and they see it from that point of view. Does that in some way possibly, possibly make them biased towards that or cloud their vision towards that? Now, who's to say that someone that, that is in the Islamic world or in the Hindu world, if you called out to Muhammad or you called out to Kali or, you know, or, or, or that's a, that's a bad one. Kali, you know, I'm tired. Um, Shiva, <laughs> that's a, Kali is a terrible one to say. Jeez. Uh, Walter Bosley would be like yelling at the, yelling at me right now. Uh, sorry, but, Walter. But, uh, Yeah. Who's to say that they wouldn't see the same thing with with their deities? <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that I necessarily believe that, right? Because and in, not, my, and cause in my mind, I honestly do think Joe's right. See, and I, and I'm not I'm not trying to oppose him because I don't know yeah. he's the one that's doing the research, <laughs> right? But I just I would be curious to see if there has been those kind of studies. Yeah, but you do as a researcher, you do have to kind of ask yourself the question: Is anybody doing that, or is it more? But but also at the same time. In those cultures, is the phenomenon taking on the same form that it's taking on in our Western culture? Because I believe this is this is something that may be culturally specific, because we live in in a postmodern industrial society, and we are more likely to see aliens than we are right. to see to see the jinn or to see fairies. Someone or, someone You've that got, has a different but, cultural context. But you can go back to incubus, succubus type stories. Right. There's throughout other cultures. Right. There's the same sort of a theme, or you know, similar right. incidents that happen, and that, that's that's why I think that you know, even in, in non-Christian cultures, like <clears throat> there's there's incidents that mimic this and that's why i think that maybe it's um you know it could it could be a, a more of a psychological thing obviously i've not done any research to <laughs> uh support this but yeah. it's you know well one person i really want to get their thoughts on this and that would be joshua cutchen josh i know you're listening so <laughs> we're gonna get you on to talk about this at a certain point probably in a couple of shows, but I really want to get his reaction to this because this has been brought up on where did the road go in some of their roundtables. They have brought this this up, and I've been telling them, you know, hey, you know, there is a guy out there, Joe Jordan, you might want to talk to. You know, He might be a good, you know, told Sarai about this, I think. And I'm really curious as someone that as the books that Josh has written and the reason that also Josh, Josh is a Christian, and where he comes, where what he thinks about this whole, this whole aspect of the phenomenon, whether he thinks that this is real or if he thinks that it's biased, I really want to get his thoughts on that. So we will do that, I think, pretty soon. Um, for me, I have, I I think things have been like a little bit of a journey for myself on this aspect as they should be right i think you i think you develop i mean you know when i first heard this stuff i would be what you would probably say was like a new christian well initially i became a christian and i've said this before because i thought to myself well if i believe all this weirdness about ufos why can't i believe that a guy 
was crucified, died, and rose again. Well, I cannot believe that. If I can believe all this other weird stuff, I can believe this weird thing. So it was like that, there was like that kind of strange spiritual leap of logic for me. And I made it. And that's how I initially did that. And I can remember still believing that there were extraterrestrials, that there possibly were come from another planet that were that were coming here. And even I remember my ex-wife saying that they were all demons. And I said, no, that's not true. This is probably about 2004. And then I can remember hearing Tom Horn on Coast to Coast. And Tom Horn actually opened up a whole new world for me about this stuff, of thinking that this possibility of these beings being some kind of spiritual entity. And, and, I, I'm, and I'm not opposed to the idea of them being a spiritual entity. I want to make that right. clear, too. Um, I just, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's another possibility. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, can remember, I can remember, you know, reading Communion. I can remember uh, reading some stuff about how uh, things in the alien abduction lore were very similar to fairy lore. I can remember all that. And then I started thinking, well, what if this is a spiritual thing? What if it isn't physical? And then I ran across L.A. Marzulli talking about kind of the same kind of stuff. And then I ran across Joe Jordan talking about the same, this, this same kind of thing and, and my guy Malone. And for a long time, I was very much in the camp of uh, where, where I still believe that I am of saying that, you know, this is that it's a demonic, that it's a, that it's a deception. But I've somewhat taken a little bit different view on, on it that some of it may just be random and some of it may just be neutral and it's the phenomenon that's around and it's as old as the, as humanity, maybe even older, I don't even know, but as old as humanity itself and that it shows itself to us and we tend to interpret it the way we interpret it. Right. You know, it's it's Greg Bishop's co-creation theory, which, mm-hmm. by the way, this is going to be an interesting conference because we're going to have and guy set this up purposely. <laughs> you're going to have the more you're going to have guy himself who's a Christian. You're going to have Joe Jordan who we just spoke to who's a Christian. You're going to have Mike Heiser who's a Christian, and they're going to come at these things from a very Christian point of view. But as far as I know, Greg Bishop and Nick Redfern are not. I don't really want to speak for them, but I'm fairly sure they're not. And, um, they're going to come at it from, they're going to come at it from, well, everybody believes this is a spiritual phenomenon. This is not physical. Everybody agrees on that. They're going to disagree maybe on how the nature of that spiritual phenomenon is and and what it is. Right. And I'm very willing to say, to say, sometimes we just don't know what exactly it is that we are dealing with. Which is why that's a a really smart way to set this up. You know, let's get as many angles as we can. Right. And get the information out there. And why I started to kind of change was because of where did the road go? Because they got me thinking in totally different areas about this stuff. Um, I still am leery about the phenomenon. I haven't had anything happen to me in a very long time. But I... I'm still leery of it. I do believe that it, it it is and can be deceptive. Even Jacques Vallée, you know, who's not a Christian, has said that these things deceive people. 
They purposely deceive people. Now, whether that's because they're demons or it's because they are, they're just tricksters or they're just assholes. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about it. It's like the more you look into this stuff and the less dogmatic you become about it, the more you just say, I don't know what we're dealing with. Right. I don't know what it is, but it's important nonetheless. And there's always this possibility that it could just be us. It could just be us manifesting these things. Although I don't really lean that way. I do believe that we're, that we are dealing with some kind of external intelligent presence that just shows us, shows itself to us in our cultural context, in our chronological context, because look, you know, the 20th century, I mean, people cease to see the little gnomes and elves and fairies and shit like that. They cease to see that as we became more technologically based, as there may be this idea of going into space and these things started to happen and became, and also the threat of nuclear destruction, which we're still under, you know that these became much people became more and more conscious. The phenomenon began to reflect itself that way. Right. And as I've said many times ad infinitum, like the black eyed kids, how many show TV shows did you see that had, had people with black eyes? In fact, in the first, in the um, first X-Files movie, it starts off with a kid being infected by that oil and like his eyes turning completely black. And then the next year in 1998, that movie came out in 97. The next year, 1998 was the first recorded instance of black eyed kids. And that's been all over. Okay. I've said this many times, you know, right. I've been and I'm, repeat I'm a, it 20 for the 20th time. I'm a big fan of the and Slender theory Man. Too. Yeah. Art, you know, I mean, we got the whole, Art reflects life, and life reflects art, and I think that might be like right. even more literal than we generally take it. You right. Know? So there's 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 <clears throat> there's so much more going on. There's a lot of power to belief. Yeah. And there's a lot of people on this planet. Yeah. If we're believing in anything iconic, pop culture, mm-hmm. there's no telling. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so much going on that for it for for it to be extraterrestrials at this point would be absolutely disappointing to me. Right. Well, see, and why, why are they still here? Why have they done what they're going to do? If they have the technology to <laughs> yeah. come, you know, however many light years to get here, they're going to do what they're going to do and they're going to leave or they're going to take, they're just going to take our planet, steal our resources. And that's that. Like, yeah. yeah or they're exactly. going to, or they're going to invite us into the galactic, you know, Whatever Federation. Federation. And, and, and one one in one good point, which well, to go back to track what you just said, you know, guys like the Heaven's Gate believe that. That's why they put their Nikes on and drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> but uh one good one good point that Joe makes and Ellie Marzulli makes this as well, is that you have all these things about them talking badly about Jesus or dogging Christianity. And you do see this in a lot of, in a lot of reports and a lot of people's experiences. Um, really? Why? See, I've never yeah. Heard that. So why do people come? Why do these beings come from light years to talk about some pissant species, religious beliefs? Why do that? 
So like to me that's like that just says something essential that there could be that there could be something nefarious and something that's been here like we talked about last week last time with Dr. Heiser the fallen angels. I mean yeah. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on. For sure. Uh we have a correction. Do we now? We do. <laughs> um Last time we talking about the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, right? And uh, you had said something about uh, Jesus saying on the cross, on the cross, "Forgive me, Father, or I have sinned." Right. In the context of the conversation we were talking yeah. about, whether or not Jesus is, um, you know, more man, more God, and where that those lines right. started to blur and get right construed, yeah. And I didn't actually catch it when you said it, because um, I was trying to get my thoughts together to talk about the whole Holy Blood, Holy Grail crap. Right. But uh, the actual line was, "Father, forgive them, for they do not, for they do not know what they do." Right. Which, which I've heard before, and I knew, I knew yeah. that. But I mean, the um, which some of the other lines on the cross were. Also, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's, you might that's have been the line think, that I was thinking, been thinking of. thinking of that yes. one as well. So I think you got two of them kind of mixed up. I did. Uh, we did get an email. Uh, so I did just, I'm not going to give this person's name, but they said, Hey, guys, just wanted to tell you the podcast was great. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed hearing all the conspiracy stuff about the Holy Grail, and especially Dr. Heiser's talk, and I also want to let you know a couple of things. I'm not being critical. just wanted to let you know. Jesus did not say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned at any time, let alone on the cross. This line is the first line in your confession if you are Catholic. Jesus, however, did say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do when he was on the cross. Jesus was sinless and also human. Otherwise, he would have not been able to accomplish all that he did in dying for the sins of the world. Also, original sin is not sex. Adam and Eve were married, so sex would not have been sinful. Original sin is about the rebellion of Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God by eating the fruit he had told them not to eat, which I did say on that that right. that was debatable whether sex was actual the original sin. But uh, that's that's actually all theologically debatable. But Good point, so And um, yeah. to correct you real quick, that is criticism, but it's constructive criticism, and we appreciate it. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> all right, Rob. It is almost 1130 for us, so... Um, I'm sure Luke is somewhere, you know, headbanging at the moment. Oh, he's at the, yeah, he's at the end. He invited everyone to come out. Oh, did he? Yeah. You're like, no, dude, we got a podcast <laughs> to do tonight. Like, oh, mad bummer, bro. <laughs> Guys seem to be brutal. Uh, Rob, tell them uh, about Patreon one more time. Let's just hit them where they're sick of it. Yeah, uh, we have a Patreon account, and we've got several Patreons on there, uh, which means you can post stuff to that site. If you're a member, you get access to bonus episodes, depending on your subscription tier. There's uh, uh, We're going to start doing group chats here pretty quick. There's t-shirts that we already have uh, printed up, and we're going to start sending out to a couple people. Um, it's just a way that you can help support the show. If you want a little extra and you want to give a little extra, the show itself is always going to remain free. And it's just a way you can contribute if you want to, and we really appreciate it because we put a lot into the show. It's you know it costs us money, and 
Uh, we really appreciate it. Another way you can help if you don't want to do that is just to give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to us because that means a lot to us as well. And you can be one of those Patreons. You could. That can be you, whoever you are. Uh, do not forget, guys. Um, we love up, you all, whether you're Patreons or not. But Coming up in about two months, so very, very close. We, are gonna, we would like to remind you guys we will be in Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah, we will. For the 70th anniversary of whatever the hell happened. Uh, so do not forget about the 70 years later. That's a modern challenges to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. That is our good friend Guy Malone's uh, conference that we have been talking about and we have been putting the guests on. Uh, you can get your tickets at roswellufofestival.com. And guys, um, next time, although um, it's going to be a couple of days away for us, uh, we are going to be talking to Steve Stockton again. Yes. And we are also going to be joined mm-hmm. by Cisco Murdoch. Uh, Cisco is someone that I heard on Where Did the Road Go, who has a lot of interesting stories, and I'm real excited to have her on. So this is going to be a little bit of a change of a pace, but uh, we're looking really forward to it. I love and story time episodes. Story time. I do. It's story time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We're, we're about punch drunk at this point, and uh, we will see you next time on Conspiranormal. I'm tired. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.